Well, good morning and welcome to Scotts Hill Baptist Church. So glad that you're here this morning. Those of you who are watching us online, we're glad that you're able to join us. Nothing like a little temptation, huh? And, and notice the different responses from the different children. I mean, the one little boy that would touch it and try not to look at it. And the little girl, she didn't care. She's going to eat it. Ain't no, no bones about it. But the reality is, every single one of us, without exception, have to deal with this thing called temptation. I read a story that was actually an old Cherokee legend. And the Cherokee legend was told to children, and this is how the story went. A little Indian boy was walking down a path one day, and he came across a rattlesnake. And the rattlesnake startled him, and he stood back. But then the rattlesnake said, little boy, could you please help me out? I would like to go to the top of the mountain and see the sunset before I die. I'm very old, and I'm about to die. Would you carry me to the top? The little boy said, no, no, Mr. Rattlesnake. You're poisonous. If you bite me, I will surely die. And the snake said, no, no, little boy, I won't bite you, I promise. If you carry me to the top of the mountain, we can watch the sunset together, and I will not bite you. Well, the little boy was hesitant, but he picked the snake up. And he held it at arm's length, and he began to make his way up to the top of the mountain. By the time he got to the top, he was holding the snake very close to him, keeping him warm. When they made it to the top of the mountain, he put the snake down. He sat next to the rattlesnake, and they both watched the sunset. It was beautiful. Then the snake said, little boy, can you carry me back down to the mountain, into the woods where I live, so I can die there? And the little boy was a little bit hesitant. He said, did I bite you on the way up? He said, no. He said, I will not bite you on the way down. So the little boy picked the snake up, and he put it very close. And this time, he put it under his vest to keep the snake warm. They went all the way down the mountain and he took the snake to his tent in his village because it was getting late. So he brought the snake into his village, into his tent. He fed it and he gave it a warm place to sleep that night. The next morning, the snake said, little boy, will you carry me to the woods so I can die? Without any hesitation, he picked the snake up, put it into his bosom, walked into the woods, and as he went to put the snake down, the snake bit him in the chest. He threw the snake down and he said, Mr. Rattlesnake, you said you wouldn't bite me. Now I will surely die. And the snake just smiled and said, little boy, you knew what I was when you picked me up. See, that's the nature of sin. Because when we deal with sin, the enemy wants to delude us into thinking that it's not harmful. Or a little bit won't hurt. And so what we do is we become very accustomed to it. And we continue to hold that sin. And then we bring it close to our chest. And then we shouldn't be surprised when it bites us. Somebody said this about sin. Sin takes you farther than you ever planned to go. Sin keeps you longer than you planned to stay. And sin costs you more than you planned to pay. And what is it that precipitates sin almost every time? Temptation. It's the temptation that it won't hurt you. It's the temptation that it'll be good for you. It's the temptation that you can get away with it. It's the temptation that nobody will know. And the 
Temptation is something that you and I have to deal with. As a matter of fact, it has been around since the beginning of humanity. In the garden, we have to deal with temptation ever since then. We've been in this series called Free. And we've been talking about all the things that we're free from in Christ. And then we've been looking at, in the arsenal of the enemy, the weapons that he uses to try to enslave us again. So far, we've looked at a number of different of those weapons. We've talked about fear is a weapon. We talked about discouragement is a weapon from the enemy. Worry is a weapon from the enemy. Guilt is a weapon from the enemy. But today, I want to talk to you about temptation. Because this is something that every one of us has to deal with. Regardless of your heritage, regardless of your race, regardless of your creed, regardless of your religious background, temptation is a reality of our lives. But in order for us to understand it properly, we need to know the theology of temptation. We need to know the nature of temptation. And we need to know how to overcome temptation when it comes into our lives. So this morning, I want us to look at two specific scripture passages. One is found in the book of James. It's toward the end of your New Testament, after the book of Hebrews. If you have your Bibles or devices and you would like to turn there, turn to the book of James, chapter 1, beginning in verse 13. James is the half-brother of Jesus. James is also the pastor of the church in Jerusalem. James is a great theologian. And James doesn't just give us a surface understanding of temptation. He goes into the depths of it, and we get to understand the nature and the theology of temptation through James. We find four truths about that. But then, once you find James, go to 1 Corinthians chapter 10, verse 13. Here we find the Apostle Paul giving us some instruction of how to overcome temptation. He gives us three specific points of what we need to know to be able to have victory over the temptation that's in our lives. So we want to look at the theology. We want to look at the freedom that we gain from the midst of it. So we begin in James chapter 1, verse 13. He says, Let no one say when he is tempted, I am tempted by God. For God cannot be tempted with evil, and he himself tempts no one. But each person is tempted when he is lured and enticed By his own desire. Then desire, when it has conceived, gives birth to sin. And sin, when it is fully grown, brings forth death. Now, James gives us four specific truths that we need to know about temptation. If we're really going to understand it, then these things we need to get a grip on. Because without an understanding of these things, we'll never be able to have the victory over temptation that comes our way. Number one, here's what James is telling us. Temptation is not a sin. Temptation is not a sin. To be tempted is not a sin. Some people think that if they're tempted, it is a sin to be tempted. No, the reality is every single one of us will be tempted at some point in our life. James says that, we're, that, we, that all of us will be tempted. The word temptation is the same word in the Greek for trials, for testing, and for tribulation. The word is used for both cases, just the, the, the connotation in its context it makes it different. Now, here's the reality. He, James uses the same word when he talks about, count it all joy, my brothers, when you encounter various trials. For the testing of your faith 
produces endurance. And he goes on. The same word is used for both trials, testing, and temptation. Here's the difference. Test and trials are to prove or to produce righteousness. When there's a test or a trial in my life, God wants to use it to make me more like Jesus. And so it produces or proves my righteousness or produces righteousness in my life. However, temptation is different. Temptation is to entice to do evil, to prove or produce unrighteousness. There's a difference between the two. Trials and testings move us to sanctification to be like Jesus. Temptation entices us to be unlike Jesus in all of our ways. And so the use of the word in its context makes a difference. Being tempted is not a sin. Jesus was tempted in so many ways. Hebrews chapter 4 verse 15. He says, for we do not have a high priest who is, not unable, who, who is unable to sympathize with our weaknesses, but one who in every respect has been tempted as we are, yet without sin. Jesus was tempted far beyond ways that you and I will be tempted. He was tempted directly by Satan when he was in the wilderness. And Satan left him for an opportune time. And his whole ministry, Jesus had to deal with temptations. So temptation is not a sin. Listen, thoughts will come into your mind. Passions will rise from your heart. Situations will arise enticing you to do certain things. Just having the temptation is not the sin. Here's the second thing we need to know. God is never the author of temptation. He is never the author of temptation. In verse 13, James says, Let no one say when he is tempted, I am tempted by God. For God cannot be tempted with evil, and he himself tempts no one. Now, why does James say this? Because the propensity is for humanity to blame God for our sins. To blame God for our failures. We live in a culture today, you hear it all the time. People are always blaming God for the evilness of humanity. This has been around since the garden. Remember when Adam and Eve were in the garden? And God gave them one command and said, You shall not eat from the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. For the day that you eat of it, you will die. Satan comes along. He entices Eve and deceives her. She takes the fruit. She eats it. She gives it to her husband with his, who is with her. He eats it. Their eyes are open. They realize they're naked. They cover themselves with fig leaves. And then they go and run and hide from God. Well, God comes looking for them. And this is what I love about the heart of the Father. Even in the midst of their sin, God is the one who initiated that relationship of restoration. And he still does the same thing with men today. And so they're hiding and God finds them. and says, where are you? He says, I'm hiding from you in the garden. Why are you hiding? Because I'm naked. Who told you you were naked? Did you eat of the tree? And here's what Adam says. He says, the woman, the woman you gave me, she ate and gave to me and I ate. Now, it sounds like he threw Eve under the bus, but he really didn't. He threw God under the bus. The woman you gave me. I was fine, God, before Eve came along. My life was just good. Me and the animals, we were chilling. She'd come along, and she had me eat, 
and now I've disobeyed, and she's eat us out of house and home, and now we're kicked out of the garden. See what happened? He blamed God. Don't we do the same thing? God, you made me like this. You made me with this sinful nature. You made me with this weakness. You created the circumstances. You put me in this situation. You allowed this to happen to me. And what do we end up doing? We end up blaming God for temptations that he had nothing to do with. And James makes it clear. He says, let no one say when he is tempted, I'm tempted by God. You see that little preposition, that little word by? In the English, we have one word for it. In the Greek, there are two words for it. Very, very important. There are two words that can use for that word by. One is apo. Apo means remote, distant, an indirect relationship. The other one is hupo. Hupo means near or direct agency, the one who is actually doing it. The word that is used there is apo for God. And it means this, that God is not even remotely involved in your temptation. God is never involved in your temptation. Why? Because he cannot be tempted to evil. Here's what that means. It means God is not experienced in evil. God does not have the capacity to do evil. God is not vulnerable to the temptation of evil. God in his nature is holy and pure and righteous and he can never do evil. He cannot think evil. And if he cannot do evil, he will never lead his children to evil actions. Never. One man put it this way. He said, God is of such unmixed holiness that it is impossible for him to be enticed by sin. He is of such unmixed goodness in his attitudes and actions that there is no room in motive, will, or deed for that which would bring such temptations, great or small, on any of his children. God will never tempt you to evil. It's not in his nature. So we can put it this way. Tests and trials are used by God to prove or produce righteousness in you. He will use a test. He will use a trial for the purpose of making you like Jesus. Temptation is used by Satan to entice to evil, to prove or produce unrighteousness. God is never the author of temptation. Now, what about the Lord's Prayer? Lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. What does that mean? Sometimes your test and your trials can turn into temptations. When God is putting you through a test or a trial, and rather than you trusting him, you begin to doubt him, and you're tempted to disobey. Instead of walking in obedience, you're willing to give that up, and that test or that trial becomes a temptation. And when you say, lead us not into temptation, it's saying, Lord, please don't let this test or a trial become a temptation in my life by the evil one. But God is never the author of that. Here's the third thing you need to see. There is an unholy trinity that entices us daily. Every single day there is an unholy trinity at work in your life and around your life. And this unholy trinity is a reality every single day you wake up. What are those sources? There are three of them. Number one is my flesh. My flesh. James says, but each person is tempted when he is lured and enticed 
by his own desire. That word lure and entice is a fishing term to pull you away. That word by, remember that by, word by? That's hoopo. That means you're the direct agent. Your own flesh. You may be a child of God, but you have a sinful nature. And this sinful nature wants to rise up within you. And every single day, you have civil war in your life as a child of God. And you're going to either have to put to death the deeds of the flesh, or you're going to give in to them. Somebody said this, this, this ancient writer says, even though we have been saved, our baptism never drowns the flesh. It never does. Because it is always at war within us. So your flesh is an agent that wants to pull you away to evil deeds. Here's the second source, the devil. We know the devil is. Be sober-minded. Be watchful. Your adversary, the devil, prowls around like a roaring lion, seeking someone to devour. Now, the devil is a spirit. God is spirit. Since God is spirit, he can be everywhere at once. The devil is a spirit. He can only be at one place at one time. He's limited in time and scope. So the chances of the devil himself really messing with you and me is probably slim. But he has a lot of demons and a lot of emissaries that do his bidding. And there are times where there are satanic forces that are at play in enticing us. The third source is the world. Jesus says, woe to the world for temptations to sin. The world is constantly against you. The world system is constantly against us. And so the flesh, the devil, and the world are constantly putting pressure on us every single day, enticing us away from the things of God. It's just a reality. Those are the sources of temptation. Here's the fourth thing we need to see. Submitting to temptation is what leads to sin. Submitting to the temptation is sin. Now, it's not a sin just to have the temptation. When a thought comes into your mind and you put it away, that's not a sin. But it's when you begin to give in to that thought. He says in verse 15, Then desire, when it has conceived, gives birth to sin, and sin, when it is fully grown, brings forth death. Now, it doesn't mean you die physically right on the spot. You could. It depends on what your sin is. But sin gives birth to a destructiveness, maybe a lifestyle, maybe a habit, maybe a stronghold that can end your life. Now, there's a process that temptation goes through before it becomes sin. Let me give you those. It begins with a thought. A thought enters your mind. You have this thought. That's not the sin. But then you begin to entertain that thought. And you think through that thought. And you begin to wonder what it would be like to enjoy that thought. And you dwell on that thought. And then you even start trying to plan how you're going to experience that thought. And that thought becomes an experience. And that thought becomes sin. That's the path that happens from temptation to sin. Now, the big question is, how do we overcome this? How, how do we get over this issue of temptation? How do we have victory over it? The Apostle Paul writes in 1 Corinthians chapter 10, in verse 13, he lays out three specific steps or three principles, if you would, of how you and I can walk through that temptation and have victory. 
So here's how Paul puts it. He says, no temptation has overtaken you that is not common to man. God is faithful, and he will not let you be tempted beyond your ability. But with the temptation, he will also provide the way of escape that you may be able to endure it. The Apostle Paul gives us three steps to victory. These are really, really important. Now that we know the nature of temptation and that God is not behind it, how can we have victory over it? Number one. Realize that temptation is a common human experience. This is really important for us to know. This is really good news. He says, no temptation has overtaken you that is not common to man. Every single temptation that you feel, listen, somebody else has experienced it as well. There is no temptation that you feel that is unique only to you. In fact, the, the reality is this. The temptation that you're going through, millions of people have and probably are struggling with that same temptation. You're not alone. And in the church, in the body of Christ, sometimes we think, I must be the only person struggling with this kind of temptation. I must be the only person that has the propensity of weakness in this area. The reality of that is, no, you're not. There are others who also are walking through these difficult things. It also means this, that every single one of us without failure has the propensity to be tempted. And every single one of us without failure has the propensity to fall into that temptation. It's only the grace of God that keeps us out of it. And the reality is this, there are many people who think, hey, you know what, I can, I can deal with that temptation. I can stand with that temptation. And they never see the danger of it. They don't see that it's a snake ready to bite them. And the people who have that kind of spiritual pride are usually the ones who fall to the temptation. You see, there's a certain sobriety that protects us. When I realize I have the propensity to be tempted and I realize I have the propensity to fall into temptation, I become very aware of the danger and the snares that could possibly destroy me. A guy by the name of Gordon McDonald, some of you may know the name, some of you don't. Gordon McDonald was the president of InterVarsity Press for many, many years. He was on many, many college campuses across the United States, making an incredible impact on the campuses, on all kinds of universities. He'd written a number of books, and he made a public statement at one of these campuses, and he was speaking about this issue of morality. And he stood before this, this large group of students. He said, I can tell you what, there is one sin that I will never succumb to, and that is the sin of adultery. I love my wife too much. The next year, he was removed from InterVarsity Press and his ministry because of adultery. You know the verse that precedes this? Paul says, take heed how you stand, lest you fall. So there should be a certain sobriety about it. And here's the good news. That there's no temptation that you're going through that somebody else is not dealing with. And when you understand, hey, there's a possibility that there could be a fall in here. In sobriety, you can walk in humility and trusting in God in the midst of it. Here's the second thing. I love this one. 
Rejoice that temptation has a limited scope. Temptation has a limited scope. This is how Paul puts it. God is faithful, and he will not let you be tempted beyond your ability. Now, I want you to notice how he starts this. God is faithful. It starts with the faithfulness of God, not the weaknesses of you and me. God is faithful. He is faithful because he knows you. He knows every weakness. He knows every flaw. He knows every propensity. He knows those things that are the the traps for you. He knows your limits. And because of his faithfulness, he will not allow you to go beyond victory. And yet what happens many times, people say, you just don't understand. You don't understand. It was overwhelming. It was too much for me. I couldn't handle it. That was beyond anything I could ever bear. When somebody comes to you and says the temptation was too great for them to withstand it, don't you believe a word of it. When somebody comes to you and says, well, the devil made me do it, don't you believe a word of it. The devil can't make you do anything. And when a person says they couldn't overcome the, uh, the temptation, let me just tell you, that dog won't hunt. That boat won't float. That donut ain't got no hole. I, I just made that up. <laughs> Here's the good news. Because of the faithfulness of God, I don't know what that little, that little child said, but it must have been funny. Because of the faithfulness of God, you're never going to be to a point where you cannot have victory. It is not beyond you. Well, you don't understand. That's a stronghold. Yeah, that might be. You don't understand. That's an addiction. Yeah, it might be. But God knows that, and he knows you, and he knows the capabilities of his own power. Let me give you a third thing. Remember that temptation has a certain escape. Temptation has a certain escape. When the Apostle Paul writes this, he says, but with the temptation, he will also provide the way of escape that you may be able to endure it. I want you to notice what he didn't say. He didn't say he'll provide a way. He puts a definite article in front of this. And it's the only place where this is used in the New Testament. That he will provide the way of escape. Here's the picture. The picture is this canyon and one path leading out. One path. One way of escape. There's only one way out of temptation. You want to know what it is? Sure you do. I'll tell you next week. No. One way. Here it is. The only way of escape is through it. It's through it. You don't get to go around it. You don't get to go over it. You don't get to go under it. You go through it. When the Lord Jesus was tempted in the wilderness, he had to go through it. And every time the enemy came to him, he went through the temptation. It's the only way through it. What does that mean, going through it? That means three things that you and I are going to have to do. If we're going to go through the temptation, there are three things. Number one, submit to God. 
submit to God. James 4, 7, submit to God, resist the devil, and he will flee from you. Many people misquote that verse. You know where they begin? Resist the devil, and he will flee from you. It's only half. It begins with submitting to God. Why is that important? Because when I submit to God, I recognize his will is above mine. His way is above mine. His word is above mine. And when I submit to him, I die to myself. When I submit to him, I remember that he is Lord. Dietrich Bonhoeffer, who was a great theologian and pastor during the, in Germany, during the days of Hitler, he was actually executed by Hitler, hanged. He said this, that it's in a time of temptation that we forget God. During temptation, he is least real to us, and the passion of the creature is most prevalent. And when we go through a temptation, when the passions rise up and the difficulties arise, we have the tendency of forgetting God. But if I stop and submit, it is the first step to victory. If you will not do that, you will not have victory over temptation. It begins with submitting to him, submitting to his word, seeking to please the will of the Father more than to please myself. Submitting to God. Secondly, I resist the devil. Once I submit to the word of God, I stop and I submit. Then I stand and I push back. I push back and I can speak in the positive nature of God's word against the enemy. And when I resist him in the power of the word of God, I have strong, solid footing. And what's the third thing? Flee temptations. Flee temptations. This is so important. You know what most believers do? I can, I can throw myself in there because I've done this and do this. A lot of times what we want to do is we want to come right to the edge of sin. We want to try to get as close as we can because we think, hey, I'm strong enough. I know enough Bible verses. I've been going to church a long time. I've got somebody praying for me. And so what we do is we go right to the edge of sin and we don't even realize we're halfway over. Child of God, listen. When it comes to sin, we are to be cowards. We are to run. We're to run away from it. We don't come edge to edge, face to face. We recognize the propensity of sin. We recognize the snake that it is and the potential poison that it brings. And so when I stand and submit or stop and submit and stand and resist, then you know what I do? I run to Jesus. And I am not ashamed to run. So as you are dealing with temptations, let me give you one principle in, in closing, wrapping all this up. You ready? Here it is. If you would take every temptation and see it as a test to prove your love for Jesus, it will turn the perspective of temptations in your life. Every temptation that comes your way, well, there's an opportunity for me to show Jesus how much I love him over myself. There's an opportunity for me to show Jesus how much I love him over my passions. There's an opportunity for me to love Jesus more than I love my own agenda.
And every single temptation that comes into my life, if I just simply say, here is the opportunity to prove to him my love for him, I will stop and submit to the Father. I will stand and resist the enemy. And I'm going to run into the arms of my Savior. It will transform the temptations in your life into opportunities for devotion and love. Now, let me just say this. Just as we all are tempted, this is very important, we will all stumble in sin. Every one of us. There will be opportunities in our lives where we will miss the mark. We will be tempted. We will give in. We will sin. We will regret it. We will be sorrowful. What do you do? Here's what you do. Confess it. It's yours. Name it. Secondly, repent of it. Turn from it. Three, walk in the grace of Jesus. Confess your sin, repent, get up, and walk in the grace of Jesus. If you don't, the devil will pull guilt back into your life that we talked about last week and try to enslave you again. All of these different weapons are like an onion. They're just different levels and layers. And we can be free from that. Tim Stafford in his book called Unhappy Confessions of the Christian Life doesn't sound like a real positive book, does it? It was called The Unhappy Confessions of the Christian Life. He's really just talking about some of the struggles that Christians really deal with. And he tells the story about a nuclear submarine called the Thresher. The Thresher tragically went too deep. It, it, it went too deep under the water, and the surrounding pressure caused the submarine to implode upon itself. Now, it was made with heavy, heavy, thick bulkheads. And yet, the, uh, uh, the external pressure was greater than the internal pressure. And so what happened was that pressure caused it to implode. And it so destroyed the submarine that they couldn't even find pieces of it to identify it. The entire crew was lost. But in the same waters, in the same depth, are little tiny fish that swim freely and never feel the pressure of the water around them. They have the thinnest layer of skin, and yet they are not destroyed. What's the difference? Here's the difference. There is an internal pressure in them that equalizes the external pressure, and so they can live in the environment. Child of God, there are external pressures around you every single day. The world your flesh, and the devil. But there is an internal pressure in you that corresponds to the pressure around you, and he is the Holy Spirit. And no matter what temptation that comes, in you is your victory. In you is your power. In you is every possibility to overcoming every temptation. And submitting to God, resisting the devil, and running to Jesus. You are free in Christ. 
If you're here this morning, you're not a child of God, you don't have that in you, but you can. It's through a relationship with Jesus Christ who went through every single difficulty and endured everything for you. Died on a cross, buried, rose on the third day, is alive today. He is your only hope for eternity. And today he is saying to you, I'm the only one that can deliver you from the pressure of your sin and the wrath of a holy God. And he is here for you today if you would surrender your life to him. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for your word and that we can rest in the truth of it. That it's so practical and it helps us to understand the victory that we have in Christ. Father, may we walk today in your power. May we submit to you in all things. May we stand against the enemy. And Father, may we run from sin. In Jesus' name, amen.